0: You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey guys it 's good to be with you uh, for those of you that ever doubted my electrical experience, I just want you to recognize i diagnose, we diagnose a problem, and I was a part of fixing it. So there you go. We figured it out i don 't know how a power strip goes bad in the ten minutes between practice and the service, but it just happened so anyway, if you are new with us this morning, uh, what you see is what you get we 're just people that try to love Jesus and not get too worried about the small stuff. We try to focus on the big stuff and The big stuff really is that God made this world and he sent his son Jesus to die for us and he loves us. We're all messed up, but he saves us and delivers us and life can be great in the middle of the difficulty and the crazy spin. And that's really who we are. So uh, you can go ahead and take your Bible if you want and turn to John chapter 7. I'm going to preach on an entire chapter today and it's not going to take us an hour, I promise you. But uh, John 7 is, there's just... Jesus is in the middle of the churn. He's been doing ministry, and it's wonderful, and sometimes as his followers, I think we can... We can romanticize things a little bit. Some of you out there are suckers for the rom-coms, right? You like the happy ending, the challenge, and all of that. And some of you are rolling your eyes like, oh my goodness, shoot me now. I'd rather go to the dentist. I'd rather get a colonoscopy than sit through a a rom-com, you know, this happy ever after. And we sometimes, if we're not careful, we kind of romanticize Jesus. Like he just walked around, did a little healing here, and everything's good, and all of that. And truth be known, there are a lot of alligators swimming around the water and people are out to get them and out to kill them and you know I, I, none of us can really comprehend he's God and man at the same time and the God part of him, didn't worry about it the man part of him Had to deal with all the stuff that you and I deal with. How would you like to go to work and know there's people out trying to not just, you know, get mad at you or talk behind your back or hope you get in trouble, but are literally out to kill you? And so, chapter seven is all about Jesus walking through craziness with people. So, I want to talk to you this morning about how do you deal with the doubters the debaters, and the deliberators in your life. You know, Jesus, when He called the apostles, He called them. He said, look, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. If you... Follow me. You're going to get to know me. You're going to get to experience all of who I am in your life. And I'm going to save you from your sin. But I'm also going to send you back out into that world so that you can go out and reach others. And a little bit later on, Jesus in Luke 10, He sends 70 people out. Not just apostles, but average, ordinary people. Sends them out to go and to to bring, spread the good news of His kingdom. And He said, oh, by the way, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, you know, it's one thing to be a sheep among wolves. The life expectancy of a sheep, a pack of wolves, is not very long. You know, kind of five seconds flat. A lamb, even less. And Jesus said, guys, you're innocent. You are living and you're going to be in a dangerous world, but I'm going to help you and protect you. Then Jesus, at the end, after he's resurrected from the dead, he said, oh, by the way, guys, I'm now not wanting you just to go out to a few communities I want you to spread out across the whole world and go and make disciples of all nations. Take those two realities. Guys, I want you to be my hands and my feet and my mouthpiece all around the world. And don't miss the fact that people hated me, they're going to hate you. And it's a dangerous, dangerous world. We're going to talk about how we live in that reality. Of followers of Jesus, trying to live our life and be a blessing and to share the gospel. But how do we deal with those in our family that are doubters? How do we deal with those that we know that are debaters? Those that just those different individuals. How do we work with those that are deliberators? Trying to—they're not necessarily against Jesus, but they don't—they're trying to like they're working through all of that. And we see this morning that Jesus dealt with all of those in John 7. So read the first few verses with me, if you would. In John 7, the Bible says this. After this, in other words, after the, uh, dealing with the, uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000 and all of this, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He was up north. He wasn't down in Judea, the Bible says. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. I don't know about you. Now, this is not going to be quite the same. If people are trying to kill me, I kind of stay away from those people. Like, it's kind of natural. For Jesus, he's a son of God. He's not afraid or not worried. He just knows it's not his time to die yet. So he's just kind of staying out of the fray. He's kind of keeping it on the down low, if you will. And so he's just, he's not hanging out with the power structures and all the powerful enemies that are, you know, out to get him. He's just ministering there up north in his home area. And so, verse two now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. The Feast of Booze, every year the Jews would have a big camping trip. By law, you were supposed to go camping. You were supposed to live in a homemade hut, if you will. Think palm branches. Think no, no indoor plumbing, that kind of thing. Those of you that don't like camping... Camping, too bad. Obviously, God does. It was by law. And if you were a a Jewish male, it was one of the three festivals by year that you had to attend. It was compulsory. Sorry, no glamping allowed. No, you know, RV plug-in everything. It was live in this little shack. And the whole deal was was to remind the Jews where they had come from. By the way, some great models for us as families and moms and dads. Help your kids to remember from whence. You have come from and where they've come from and the generation before them." And so that was the whole point, to remind them that they had wandered around in the wilderness that God provided for them. And the reason they were doing it was because they kind of messed up. And it was to remember that, to never forget where they've come from and the grace and the provision of God in their life. That's what it was all about. So there was hardship involved. They needed to know that. So his brothers said to him, "Hey." There's a big party going on in Jerusalem, what's going on? And his brothers come to Jesus, James and Jude and the other brothers. And they said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Do you denote a little sarcasm here? You know, it's hard to always know exactly what's behind it, but the brothers are like, hey, you think you're a big shot in doing all this stuff? You ought to go and let the whole world know, because you know everybody knows that anybody that's going to be somebody has got to be somebody in Jerusalem. You should go. This is a great opportunity for you to, to do that. And they weren't fully sincere in this, because look at verse 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. They didn't believe in Him. You know, His siblings would have said, Jesus is not like the rest of us. I mean, He never did anything wrong. And He literally was always right. You thought Some of you thought you were always right growing up, but you weren't always right. Jesus was always right. And they still didn't believe Him. And like They saw God in the flesh their entire life, and they still didn't believe. They were the doubters. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast. Really, my implication, I'm not going up to this feast yet, and I'm not going with you, because he eventually goes after they leave. He says, I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come come. It's not time for me to be known in that way. It's not time for me to to die. It's going to happen, but it's not yet. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Dealing with the doubters. Jesus' own family doubted who he really, really was. Notice the doubters don't come at you fully antagonistically. They're not out for blood. They're not out necessarily to win all the arguments in the world. They just they don't get what you're about. They don't get the Jesus thing. They don't get that you could have such a relationship with God that you're willing to sell out them and surrender your life to Him. They don't get that Jesus changes your lifestyle. And because of who God is and who Jesus is, there's just some things you're not going to do in this world. And so his brothers were... They were pushing him. Maybe there was a little bit of seriousness with him, but they doubted him. I think they were kind of poking at him like, you think you're such a big shot? Like, hey, now's the time. Why don't you just go and show the world if you're really going to do that? And yet Jesus answers them just without offense. He's not angry. He's not defensive. He's not protecting himself. He's got a little bit of a thick skin in there. So how do you and I deal with the doubters in our world? There are people, there's family members that you have, there's people at work, there's people around you that get that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're just not with it. It's not their thing. They're not interested. They really doubt. They really are just like, I don't know what. He has been drinking or smoking or why he would even think those things, but that's weird, and I just, I don't, I'm not there. First thing you do is is don't get offended. Jesus isn't offended. It's their doubting did nothing to affect who he is. No reason for him to defend something. He was never vulnerable. You know, we get defensive when somebody's like, well, why do you think this? And, you know, we kind of, it's just who we are. We feel like we've got to kind of take arms and defend ourselves. It's natural. But Jesus isn't offended. He's got some thick skin. In fact, he goes even further and he's like, yeah, I know the whole world hates me. They do because they're sinners. And I remind them that they're sinners. Jesus expected that. Folks, you and I, if we're going to deal well with the doubters in our world, we've got to recognize that because of who Jesus is, in fact, that He came, died on the cross for our sins, and we've gone all in with Him, that we recognize our own sin. We recognize this world is completely sinful and so messed up. And because of it, our outlook and our view in life is completely different. And as we live and try to honor Jesus in our heart, the rest of the world bumps into that, and they don't like it. The world really doesn't care at the end of the day what we do inside our church that much. I mean, they might, they might from when the masks are going on and all of that. But in terms of like what we believe and, you know, religious and all of that, they don't care so much. But what the doubters in your life really don't like is when they bump in to the change in the godliness that Jesus is putting inside of you because they begin feeling convicted and they don't like it. In fact, sometimes those people will mock. Sometimes he'll be like, why don't you just come with us? And it's not so much that they're worried about you. They just don't want to feel bad about doing the stuff they're doing. And they're feeling convicted because the presence of God in you is getting close to them and they don't like it. By the way, Jesus kind of, his brothers should have stepped back. I don't know if they picked up on it or not, but he's like, yeah, people are going to like you because you're a sinner too. They don't like me because I tell them they're about sin. But they like you just fine. You go on to Jerusalem. Nobody's trying to kill you because you're living like the rest of the world is around you. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus comes into your life and saves you, he puts a new appetite into your soul. I'm not saying that you and I don't ever sin again. We battle that for the rest of our life. But for the first time in our lives, he puts a propensity and a desire to actually do right at a level that we have never seen before. And he puts a hunger in your heart to do right. And so that more and more, when you're genuinely a true follower of Christ, you really are beginning to live more and more differently. God changes you. And, And as you walk through this world, the world doesn't get it. The world doesn't get honesty. At every turn. The world doesn't get humility at every turn. The world doesn't doesn't get a purity. The conversations that you experience, you know, on the light side when you're at work, the, the gossiping and just the talking of people and running down. And as a follower of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit inside you says, cut that out. That's not a part of your life. And you just begin avoiding that stuff. People pick up on it. And then Take it even further, the, the conversations and just the the lewdness and the crudeness and talking about all of the you know the, the sexual sins and all of the other things, and the people begin realizing, like, well you're not you're not into that. What why are you different? And they begin to notice that your world's different, and then all of a sudden you begin picking they begin picking up on you and they don't like it. Just because of what, what Jesus says, like, yeah, I come into this world. John 1 talked about it, and the world rejected me because their deeds are evil, and they don't want to be any part of that. So how do you deal with the doubters in your world? First, do not take offense. Second, recognize that the world's not going to like who you and I are, and it's because of Jesus inside of us. That's a challenge because inside of us, we, we really, I, you like to be liked, don't you? I don't, wanna, I don't like not being liked. I don't like being rejected. I don't like being thought of as odd or weird or, or all of that. And so we crave that. But we need to come to terms where Jesus is, is that we're, we really are marching to the beat of a different drummer, and our drummer is, is Jesus. And so we don't take offense We don't lash out in insecurity. We don't go out and Jesus didn't debate them. He didn't try to hammer them. Well, you guys are a bunch of sinners, and when are you ever going to get this right? And, you know, all of that. And he lived his life. He spoke truth and spoke reality. He didn't diminish what he believed. He didn't hide what he believed, but he didn't have to just put it right on top of them, and just hit them. Just like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, go to the feast, but you have no idea what this is all about. You don't even He didn't do any of that. So when you have family, and, and some of you have trusted Christ in the middle of your, your family, and your family, you, you go to the holidays and do the events, and it's weird. It's uncomfortable, because your family does and acts certain ways that you just have come to the conclusion, like, that's not of God, and that's not right. And yet you want to show love and you want to be a part of all of it, and it's weird. And somehow in the middle of all of it, you have to live like Jesus did and say, yeah, I can't go with you on this one, but I still love you, I'm still committed to you, and I'm not hitting you over the head, but I'm not hiding where I am. Sometimes because we follow Jesus, because we, we don't want to make waves and create all of that, we just kind of close up and we just kind of you know, shut down. Jesus didn't do that either. He spoke, and he spoke appropriately, but he wasn't obnoxious. He didn't debate. He wasn't rude, but he lived his life among the doubters, transparently. And that's where you and I need to be, is we need to live our life authentically. They recognize that Jesus was different, and we should expect that people around us should see us differently. We should hope that, not for our own pride's sake and act like we're somebody. We should hope they see the difference because that's how God begins to work in their heart to show them that they need something. You see, for you and I, for everybody to really come to know Jesus and to surrender life to them, their sin's got to be dealt with. And one of the ways that God uses that in people's lives to convict them is just you and I living differently. We don't, we don't like being sandpaper. But God is the sandpaper. It's not our job, right? to rub people, but He's going to do that in our life when we're with them. So live your life authentically. Live your faith authentically. Live it, you know, in community with your family and your friends and your coworkers. Don't hide. Don't make excuses. Don't be bashful, don't be ashamed. Don't be obnoxious. Put yourself out there and allow God to work. Get some thick skin and recognize that you're never going to be accepted at whatever level you want to be, and that's okay, because Jesus has accepted you. Because some of those doubters along the way are going to turn to Jesus, and they're going to become believers. One of these brothers is named James. Not James the apostle, but James the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James. Not all of Jesus' brothers stayed doubters. Oh, they were there and they were not into him at that point. But over time, God worked in their life. Some of those doubters in your family and some of those doubters at work, some of those doubters around your life, God actually is working inside of them and you living out constantly and how you should be. God is going to work in their life down the road to where they trust him. So that's the doubters. I want you to notice Jesus not only dealt with doubters. And doubters often are close to us. They're they're nice people. They're just not with it. Sometimes they're a little more, not antagonistic, but sometimes, you know, it's a little bit more. Now the debaters are a whole other animal. Look what Jesus then in verse 10, what he dealt with. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, and the Jews were looking for him at the feast saying, where is he? The Jews knew they had this roving teacher out there and they wanted to find him. It was normal. If you were a teacher and kind of had your, 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 your dojo, your apostles, you know, your disciples that were following you, that you, know, you would come and show up and they were looking for him. And they were at the feast saying, where is he? In verse 12, and there was much muttering about him among the people. He was the topic of discussion. While some said he's a good man, others said no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. He was the topic of conversation. Oh, he's a good man. He fed those people. What do you mean he's a good man? Look at him, He's not even following any of the other stuff of the law. What are you talking about? A debate began to arise. People trying to debate who he was. Truth be known is they were both wrong. He was much more than a good man, and he was definitely not a bad man. Look what else goes on. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up in verse 14 into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? This guy never went to Bible college and seminary. What does he know? How in the world does he talk so well? He shouldn't be able to do this. How does he know about the things of God? What? They were looking for a pedigree and a degree. And here's what Jesus says in verse 16. My teaching is not mine. You're, you're marveling at me, but actually it's not mine. Like, but it's the one who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will not know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my authority. As Jesus interacted with people, he knew the conversations that were happening, that were going on. He had those interactions with people, and the whole chapter talks about it. We can't, don't have time to look at every little instance about it. But notice what Jesus did. The way you deal with debaters is, is you don't get into the debate with them straight up. Most of us make a mistake about that. When people ask us questions, well, what about this? Our tendency is to, well, I'm going to prove and you know, we get into that, that discussion. We try to prove their opinion or their thought wrong. Do you notice how Jesus doesn't do that? They're debating who he really is and he doesn't even go there. He doesn't try to prove that he's the Son of God. Folks, he could have done miracles and all kinds of stuff. Like, if there was anybody that could have proved who he was, he could have done it. And he didn't do it in those situations. In fact, he steps back, and what he really does is he addresses the real problem. See, the real problem of the debaters isn't an issue of logic and smarts and figuring it out. That's not the problem for the debaters. Jesus dealt with three problems in the first one and he told them the, the problems. What he said is, yeah, the real issue is that is you just really don't want to do the will of God. The issue is that is you really don't want to know the truth. Yeah, you're debating all of this stuff and you're bringing up good points and." You know, why the Bible might not be trustworthy from your perspective, or why, you know, God's so lame if he was really a good God, there's bad stuff happening in the world. Yeah, you're, you're bringing up all of that stuff, and I get it, but the real issue is, is not you have some good points. The real issue is, is you really don't want to know the truth. The real issue is, is you really don't want to know if God is real. You're actually not open to that, and you're just trying to prove your own thought. Jesus was not afraid to point out the real issue. He did it respectfully. He didn't do it argumentatively, but he pointed it out. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people and have made that mistake to just kind of enter into them and then kind of get led along to whatever crazy idea or, you know, arguments in their brain. And in the end of the day, they're not interested and they walk around feeling like they're one. It's kind of like they're putting on the boxing gloves coming at you, thinking that, you know, if I can beat them up, then I've proved my point and I've got an excuse not to believe in God. And it's an exercise for their good, but it does zero good for the kingdom because the real issue at the end of the day is many of those people just have no interest in knowing God is really real or not. I increasingly, as I talk with people who are trying to figure things out, and I'll talk about they're the deliberators, Say, hey, let's, let's try this. Step back and say genuinely in your heart, God, if you're really real, I want to know that. Would you help me? Like, let's start there. And be genuine in your heart and open and ask God. Then you can bring some genuine questions to Him and figure it out. The real issue is, is the want to, the will. Many of you um, will know the name Josh McDowell. He's been known in the Christian world for many, many years. Uh, I think it was back, was it in the 60s maybe, 70s? I don't know. Um, He was a college student in the the U.S., was not a follower of Christ, was was one of these debaters, one of these skeptics. And he was kind of a big man on campus, you know, gregarious, outgoing, everybody liked, you know, that kind of thing. But he said, so outwardly, he was the life of the party, everybody liked him, living it up. But inwardly, he was dying. And he was hurting, and he didn't have purpose and peace, and he was not doing well. By the way, many of the people in your life are like that. They put on a good front out here, but inside, they are messed up inside of here. And so he noticed this one group of students on campus that were different than everybody else. And he noticed they just seemed to be happy and peaceful and just, and he was interested. And so he started hanging out with them and he turned, I don't, I think they were just hanging out, you know, probably in the commons area or whatever. I don't think it was like a Bible study thing, reading a story. And he just turned to one of the girls out of the blue. It's like, you guys just like, you're different. Why? And he said, I was blown away at her answer. Never expected Cause she turned around and said, yeah, because of Jesus Christ. And he's like, What? Like, we're thinking people. We're not dumb enough to follow that. What are you talking about? And she just very wisely, rather than getting in debate, just said, we well, ought to study and see if it's true or not. We ought to dig in, big boy. And so he did. And as he began, he, was, he would say he was more of an agnostic, just not sure what he believed, maybe even on the side of atheism, like, there is no God. And I'm like, I've had enough of this Jesus religion stuff. What in the world are you talking about? But there was such a hunger that was in his soul and he began digging in. And then it, in the process, God began working and he began, you know what? There is actually a lot more evidence here. By the way, so many debaters in your life are only saying stuff that they just have heard. They've not studied it. They are clueless. They're passing on, they're parroting, just regurgitating some passing comments they've heard, and they've never had anybody that's actually sat down and they've never really looked at the issues for themselves. And as he began digging into the issue, he went from, oh my goodness, this actually, I think Jesus is legit and this is real, but in his story he says this, he says, I struggled for a while because of my pride. I didn't want to give up and admit that I was wrong and I needed God, and I didn't want to give up my pleasure either, and it was his will that he was hung up on, it was it was his will versus God's will. You see, Jesus didn't fall for all the mistakes. When you're dealing with the debaters, you need to recognize a bunch of them are not interested, and you just need to stay out of that world. But those that God really is working on hearts, just like the doubters, some of them will believe, some of the debaters will believe, but you got to poke at are they really wanting to know the truth or not? And don't be afraid to call it out. Second thing that Jesus poked at with them is not just their will, but their sin. He went on and said this, he says in verse 19, "'Has not Moses given you the law? "'Yet none of you keeps the law. "'Why do you seek to kill me?' He says, guys, why are you making such a big deal of this? Moses gave you the law, he told you right from wrong, and none of you are keeping it." In other words, you're all sinners. The issue isn't you're debating who you think I am and who I'm not and what's all of that. The issue is you don't want to know the truth and really follow God. It's your own will. Your own stubborn pride is what's at stake. You're not willing to be humble in this world. The real issue is you just want your sin. You're not willing to deal with it. You see, ultimately, the reason people don't trust Christ is not because there's not enough evidence. It's not because they haven't met somebody smart enough to to prove it to them. God has put more than enough evidence in this world, both in his word and in the general making of the creation of this world, and done more than enough in your life to prove to a person's heart. The issue is, is are they going to be so prideful, or are they willing to humble themselves? And secondly, are they willing to admit their sin? Because God, in the process of us trusting him, always deals with, with our sin and so in the process when you just feel like you're dealing with a debater hey let me can i ask you a question you've asked me all kinds of questions looking for answers I've, I've addressed and answered a couple of them can i ask you a question are you perfect no i'm not perfect have you ever done anything wrong yeah how do you get forgiveness what do you mean well Is there a cosmic force in this world that you need to seek to make things right? You know, begin dealing with their sin. How do you find that? What are you going to do with that in your life, regardless if there's a God or not? How are you going to make it right with the people in your community? How can you do that? Begin speaking into that world in a way that connects and makes sense. And then the third thing that Jesus does he all he dealt with their pride and their will. he dealt with their sin issue. And they, by the way, they weren't offended by that he called them sinners. In verse 20, the crowd answered, you have a demon. You're demon-possessed. Who's seeking to kill you? <laughs> and Jesus goes on and tells them, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I healed that guy on the Sabbath day, and you wanted to kill me. Go back and look at chapter 5, just two chapters ago. He's like, I do one miracle, and you want to kill me. Because I supposedly broke a law. Give me a break. You see, they were offended because he called them out about what they wanted to do to him, about their reaction. They actually weren't offended about that he called them sinners. (laughs) Isn't that so interesting? They weren't offended by that. But the third thing that Jesus dealt with was this. He says, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, I'm in verse 23, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? The Jewish law, if you had a boy, he had to be circumcised and it was always on the eighth day. And if the eighth day landed on a Sabbath, the Sabbath day was like, right, you don't do any work on it to honor God. Sorry, the priest's job was to perform surgery on that day. That's work. And Jesus says, if, if you are commanded to do work there, can I come and heal a person's whole body on a Sabbath day? On a Sabbath? Like, Seriously? In verse 24, he explains the point he's making. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. I kind of alluded to this a second ago. When the debaters are coming at you just to kind of beat you up and to prove their pride is right, which I would say that's the majority of debaters that are out there, Jesus said, seriously, guys? Quit judging by this superficial, surface, Just judgment without really looking at what's underneath. Most debaters, when they come at you, they're not really, because they're not really interested in the truth, they're just trying to find two or three little quick reasons why they're justified to not believe in God, why they're justified to stay in their pride, why they're justified to live life the way they want. And Jesus challenges them, you need to look a little bit deeper. You need to genuinely begin to discern what's real in their, in your life. Quit with the superficial passing over Monday morning armchair quarterback thinking you got the world figured out with your little glib answer and all of that. And you need to genuinely step back and look at what's what's real in this world. Besides, you're just one little you know parroting what your biology professor thought or what you heard on some you know, podcast or whatever your little brain has trumped up or, you know, created in your brain. But you need to really look a whole lot deeper. When those debaters are in your life, some will be like the Josh McDowells that God is trying to poke through into their world. But rather than you just blindly falling into the trap of where they are, our job is to step back and say there's something more at stake because underneath those debating issues is a human pride and will. It's a desire to stay in sin. Those are the two things that Josh McDowell struggled with, his pride and his wanting to stay with pleasure. And by the way, his testimony was, was even though he wanted to stay in all of that, he knew that becoming a follower of Jesus did mean life change for him and it meant that he was going to need to give things up. It was the pounding inside of his soul, those are my words, not his, but the hunger and the the heartbreak and all of that that drove him to Jesus that he was willing to give up that pride and that sin. And we know, those of you that have walked that journey, That's when you surrender to Jesus, God changes that, and you're glad to be humble. You're glad to not live that same way because it feels good and God works inside of you. But God has to bring us to that point. So. Deal with those things in that way. Third group, and then I'm done. Not just doubters, not just debaters, but deliberators. Deliberators in your life, you need to come at it a little bit differently. See, there's some people in your life they are generally just trying to figure it out. Not everybody that asks you questions is a debater. Not everybody that brings up good points is just trying to stay in their pride and to prove you wrong. Some people really are trying to figure it out because God is genuinely working their life. When those people, you talk transparently and sincerely and you point them to who Jesus really is. Look at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture, Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He said it loud for the whole world to hear. And now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified." The last day of the feast in the Jewish tradition, the priests would go down to the Pool of Siloam. The temple is up high. In fact, from where the Pool of Siloam is, it's about three-quarters of a mile. It's about 700 feet lower than the, the temple mound. If anyone's ever hiked in the Adirondacks or anything, when you hike 1,000 feet in a mile, that's pretty steep. Like, average person, you're going to suck some wind doing that and need some, some breaks. And even people who are in shape are going to slow down. So we're talking a good little hike up. But they would bring the water from there, because, and they would bring it to the temple and offer it as an, as an offering to God. And again, it was a part of the reminder. Remember when you're walking around in the desert wilderness? This is not wilderness like Adirondacks where there's water just 10 minutes away. Every little spot's got a brook and a stream somewhere. This is desert wilderness. When the Jews were wandering around the desert, there was no water. And God had to supernaturally provide it when Moses hit the rock, which by the way, the rock's a picture of Jesus. And he provided that living water. So as the priests are bringing that water up, and it was a reminder that God provides for them and cares for them this water, Jesus says, I'm that water. I'm the one that provides living eternal life. Think back to when he talked to the woman at the wells, like, hey, if you knew the water that I gave you, you'd never thirst again. And Jesus is transparently telling himself again to the world, because he knew there were deliberators in the crowd. There were people who were in deliberation in their mind, who were sincere, trying to understand, trying to figure it out, who were not prideful and willful against him, who were not just loving their sin and trying to stay in it. They just wanted to understand. And so Jesus was dealing transparently with them, openly. And the truth that he was telling was amazing. It's like, hey, if you are hungry and spiritually thirsty for me, come. I'm going to give you that water. And by the way, when you surrender your life to me and receive me as Lord of your life, you are then going to be a source of water, living water, a source of eternal life for the people around you. The video that we showed earlier in John 4, Jesus said, hey, inside of you, when you come to me, he told told this woman the well, there's going to be springs of water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that comes in and answers that hungering in our soul that heals that hurt that that just changes us on the inside. What we crave before we trust Christ is, is that wholeness, that purpose, that peace and that joy and that eternity that God put in our heart for that to be made right. After we know Jesus, we still want that. In fact, you and I, when we are not really living for Jesus and not walking in His Spirit, we get cranky and we get all kinds of stuff not good because we're getting our eyes off of of our Lord. But instead, when we're pursuing Him, our life becomes living water to others. By the way, one of the evidences of you and I walking in the Spirit and honoring God is the way we treat the other people in our life. Because when we're really... Following Jesus and living for him, we handle the doubters and debaters and all of the craziness in life. And we do it in a way that our life offers water to people and not just all the acting like the rest of the world does and obnoxious and rude and cranky or whatever. But we respond in that way. So when there are deliberators in your life, speak to them about who Jesus is, help them to know who he is. After this, there are people that are, they say, look at verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Now these are not debaters. These are deliberators. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said the Christ comes from the offspring of David, comes from Bethlehem? They're trying to figure it out. They're right. The Bible said Jesus the Savior would come from Bethlehem. This guy's from Nazareth. Like, how does that work? Some are like, this guy's got to be the Messiah. They saw the miracles, they hear his teaching. I would hope that some of these people went to Jesus like, hey, if you're the Christ, like, you're from Nazareth. I would imagine Jesus along the way is like, yeah, I was born in Bethlehem. You were? Oh, my goodness. You really are the Messiah. See, there's people in your life that are just trying to figure it out along that way and you help them because what's having to happen is is they're trying to sort through their past traditions and beliefs and experiences of life in order to understand who Jesus really is to know him. See these people were steeped in religious tradition that was not all good and it took time to untangle that. Some of you have experienced that. You grew up in a very religious home Home that taught you about God, taught you about Jesus, but didn't quite teach you the truth or the core of the truth. And it takes a while for those traditions and things to get untangled and Jesus to cut through that. And it just doesn't happen overnight. But some of you are in that deliberate, you're one of the deliberators and you're trying to figure it out. And Jesus is just trying to say, Come to me. Just trust me. Don't worry about tradition and religion and all these other things. Just focus on me. I love you, I died on the cross for you, and I rose again, and you come to me and surrender your life to me, and I will change you, and I will make you a source of good for those around you. I love that, that God just doesn't want to save us, but He wants to save and change people's lives around us. Some of you... And many people, you, some of you have experienced this. Some of you are probably experiencing it now. You've got past hurts and experiences and pains in your life, and you are asking, not the, if God's a good God, why could He allow evil in this world? You're asking it from an emotional point because you've experienced that evil. Well, if God really loves me, why did He allow this? And you're a deliberator, and God's having to work in your heart in such a way that you come to understand that even though God's a powerful God and a loving God, He didn't make us robots where this whole world just, He's just, you know, the man behind the curtain pulling the strings and we're just all puppets. And because He's that kind of God, He had to make this world to, for us to genuinely have a free relationship with Him. He had to make this world where we had moral choices as people to do right and to do wrong. And we as people have done wrong and because of it, we have all wronged one another, and we've we've all experienced it, some to worse degrees than others. And you've got to come and work through the reality of not just the doctrine or the theology teaching, but just the pain of what you've experienced to say, even though that happened, God has loves me and he has something more for me. And it takes a while for you to work through that. But you have people in your life that are deliberators, and because you are living your life authentically before them, they're being attracted to Christ invisibly without you fully even knowing it. And they're hung up on some of those issues. God, you should pray that God would help you discover who those people are in your life so that you can help them, that you can be a, a part of them taking those steps to Christ. So this morning, Multiple things for us. Those of you that have people in your life that you're hoping, you're trying to help to know Jesus, one of the important things that you need to do is you need to, with God's help, discern, are they a doubter? Are they a debater? Are they a deliberator? And under God's leading, you need to kind of put them in one of those buckets and relate to them accordingly. If they're a doubter, continue to live authentically. And allow God to work in your life maybe talk to him a little bit but if they're a debater and they're coming at you don't just write them off and be obnoxious step out of the debate and point them with something a lot more serious like do you really, do you really want to know the truth challenge them challenge them on some of those things and they're de- genuinely deliberating most times when I see people trust Christ they're deliberating But sometimes those people were kind of the doubters and the debaters, and they kind of moved into that category. But speak into them. Help them. Walk with them in that. If you are this morning, you're sitting, and you are that doubter, you need to recognize that God wants to do something bigger, and you should take it a whole lot more seriously, and you should commit to saying, God, I really do just want to know the truth and move to that deliberation spot. And if you're a debater this morning, you need to recognize your own pride. You need to recognize that you are not God's gift to intellect, God's gift to whatever, and that you get stuff wrong all the time. And just maybe you're wrong on this one too. And you need to take the step if you're really a real God, this is crazy, and I don't even know why I would be praying this, but God, I, just, I really do just want to know the truth. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Move to that deliberation camp. And if you're a deliberator, and you've been deliberating for a while, somewhere along the way, all your answers don't need to get answered and can't be answered for you to trust Jesus. But there's more than enough for you to go ahead and take that step to surrender your life to him and move past whatever it is that you've worked through past tradition past issues in your own heart but to say Jesus I want that that's what I'm after maybe you've even got to work past church hurt where you've been hurt and experienced that in the past and just say Jesus I know people are sinners but I want you in my life so whatever You are in that, whether you're trying to reach other people or you're in one of these roles. Take that step this morning. Our team's going to come up and lead us in a song. Take that step of faith. Take that step. Maybe you've written some people off in your life. Don't do that. God can move that. Maybe you've tried too hard with some people. Maybe you need to go back and say, you know what? I'd like to have another conversation, but I'm not going to try to prove you wrong. I just wanna ask you some other questions and give God something to work into and kinda warm his way into their soul. But whatever God said to you this morning, respond to him today. Lord, we are grateful for Jesus. Father, I thank you that the Bible teaches us not just the fun things, the exciting things, but even helps us to just know how to be your hands and feet in this world around us. Lord, I'm excited about the care portal ministry that we can not only provide people with the physical needs, but along the way, we're going to meet some doubters, some debaters, and we're going to run into some deliberators. Lord, would you give those individuals wisdom who go and to minister and to provide? Would you give them such discernment and uh, boldness and uh, a winsome wisdom to help discern where those people are, to help them take those next steps wherever they are? Lord, would you use this as a church for your glory? Father, I sense that you want to. We've done so many things in the past, but Lord, once again, I do sense that just, there's just some challenges that I feel like the enemy we face individually in our homes, and our families, as, as a, and as a church. So I ask, Father, for your grace through these difficulties. Help us, Lord, to bear up underneath them. Help us to represent you well uh, in these days ahead. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.